Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Well, this week, of course, the United States and most of the world is preoccupied with the coronavirus and all of the governmental restrictions and uh, personal responses that we're trying to make to the situation. Normally on the podcast, I don't try to talk about uh, timely issues or current events because by the time I record those, a few days later, they've passed and we're on to something else. But in this case, I think it is important for me to talk about this with you. Uh, I want to talk about it, though, not in terms of uh, what you should do today so much as uh, a perspective on how to respond in a crisis situation, and particularly a perspective as a ministry leader on some things you can do and some uh, actions you can take uh, during this crisis or really any crisis to make sure that you're providing the kind of ministry that's needed in your church or ministry organization. So today, I want to talk about uh, rising to the challenge of addressing issues like the coronavirus, but more broadly even, rising to the, issue, uh, rising to the challenge of uh, meeting crisis uh, issues and crisis situations as a ministry leader. Now, I have some perspective on this particular incident because of the things I've lived through as a ministry leader. I've lived through several different uh, illnesses or diseases that have swept through the country, uh, SARS, MERS, uh, Legionnaires, the swine flu in 2009-2010. Uh, and that doesn't even include some other kinds of disasters or crises that we face, like Y2K, uh, 9-11, uh, the Katrina hurricane. So I've lived now in, as a ministry leader for long enough to have experienced quite a number of these crisis situations that uh, come at us. Now, my primary observation about the current coronavirus situation based on all that I've lived through in these other situations is this. We will get through it. Uh, every time one of these events happens, the same kind of pattern repeats itself. First, there's shock, uh, and then there's panic. And people start doing things that really uh, aren't rational, like, for example, buying up all the toilet paper in America. Uh, you know, we've jokingly said around Gateway that someone must have discovered that toilet paper actually cures coronavirus. Uh, apparently it doesn't, but nevertheless, people have been buying it up by the, by the cases. This is the kind of panicked, irrational behavior that often happens in the midst of a crisis situation. Well, panic often gives way to anger, and there's certainly uh, a good bit of that right now. Uh, people are angry uh, about various aspects of this. It depends on who you talk with. Uh, many people are angry at the government. Some are angry because they feel like the government has responded too slowly, uh, but many more, uh, at least the ones who are talking with me, are angry that they feel the government has overreacted in some significant ways in this crisis. Uh, people are angry about uh, loss of mobility or the fact that they're not able to go and do and be with friends or neighbors or uh, go to sporting events or things like this, and so there's anger about that. But even more deeply, uh, more troubling, is some of the anger that's uh, in our culture that has some, some dark side. Um, recently in California, for example, uh, there were major news stories about the long lines over this past weekend of people buying guns 
uh, and ammunition. And the uh, photographs that accompanied these articles showed lines of people outside of these stores, long enough lines that people had brought lawn chairs and other things to hold their place as they slowly worked their way to the front of the line. And they interviewed uh, one gun store owner who said that many of the people who were buying guns were Asian. And one Asian person interviewed said, we, feel a racial, we fear a racial backlash toward the Asian community if this coronavirus becomes uh, even more crippling to the nation than it has become. Now, I'm certainly not endorsing that in any way. I'm simply reporting that there's a level of anger and fear that is uh, pervasive that's sort of underneath what's happening right now that we have to be aware of as ministry leaders. And then, quite honestly, there's going to come another level of anger in weeks to come as the economic echo of the impact of what's happened in the past few weeks takes place throughout the culture. People are going to be losing jobs. Companies are going to be closing. Uh, uh, th there's not going to be uh, any way that some of these negative circumstances can be prevented in everyone's life. And so you're going to see another wave of this kind of angry backlash that may come uh, in the future. So when we face a national crisis like this or a significant crisis like this in our communities or in our country, you can usually count on there being shock and panic and then anger. But then ultimately, people begin to move toward resignation to the reality of the situation adjustment as needed, and then proactive steps to start working through it. Now, as a leader, you have to get there quicker. Uh, quite frankly, I, I went past the panic stage. I, I, I didn't panic about this. I don't think I'm going to panic about this. So that one wasn't a big problem for me. But I'll be frank. I have had to grapple with some anger about this situation. Um, I, I do have some strong feelings about what's been done, how it's been done, and what should have been done. And uh, I'm like every other American in that regard. I've, I, I have some feelings about the situation, and those feelings, frankly, could be labeled anger. But I've had to work through that and move through it fairly quickly because I have an organization to lead, I have ministry to provide, I have people who are looking to me for guidance, and I have a family that's depending on me to set the pace as we move forward. And so, as a leader, you are not immune to shock and uh, to panic and shock and anger, these emotions that come at the beginning of a crisis situation. But as a leader, you have to say, I'm going to move forward. I'm going to move more quickly to resignation to the reality of the situation, no matter how I may feel about it. I have to accept what is and make a decision to move forward in that context. And then secondarily, start looking for solutions, actions, uh, for concrete steps I can take, not only personally, but as an organizational leader, uh, to make a difference going forward. Now, I'll talk more about that in just a moment, but before I do, I said that I've lived through a number of these different situations over the years, different illnesses, different natural, national disasters, uh, uh, different uh, attacks on our country. But there's one difference this time, and it's not the nature of the virus. That may or may not be a difference. I'll leave that for the medical community to continue to debate. But there is one very significant difference for me this time, and that is the pervasive nature of media and social media and the addiction that American culture has developed uh, to their electronic devices and to the instant information that is continually coming over those devices to them. The problem, as you know, is that not all of this information is accurate. Not all of it is communicated with any context. 
And not all of this information is comprehensive or certainly balanced. In fact, uh, the nature of much of the information that comes at us these days is intentionally not comprehensive or balanced because its goal is to be provocative, uh, to get us to, uh, to click, clickbait, as you might hear it called, and to move into a website or into an advertising site to see what might be there. So the pervasiveness of information through media and social media and the addiction we have to our devices is certainly this time one of the characteristics of this crisis that's different than anything I've lived through uh, in the past. And you're not, you're not going to be able to uh, counterman that in the midst of this crisis, so you might as well understand that it is part of the reality of what you have to address. And in your response, you may even use some of these media to get your message out, and that's certainly appropriate. But even more importantly, you're going to have to acknowledge the power of these kind of media in terms of influencing the people that you're trying to reach and also countermand that with information and with methodology of how you communicate. So we are facing some, a very serious situation. Uh, some of us have lived through these things before, and I counsel that we will get through it. Uh, we will start out with uh, panic and anger and shock in some order, but ultimately, especially as leaders, we have to move to a resignation to the reality of the situation and then the choice to make proactive steps to move forward with our church, organization, or family. And we're going to have to do that in a milieu that includes massive amounts of information, some of it not accurate, some of it not comprehensive, some of it not balanced, some of it not in context, and some of it, frankly, just not accurate. But nevertheless, that's the context in which we find ourselves. So, as ministry leaders in that context, what are some things we can do uh, to give us a better path forward and to help us chart a course of leadership in a crisis? Well, number one, base your response on what you believe. Panic is not an option for Christians who trust that God is our source and sustainer. We have to come to face reality about what we really believe in a time of crisis like this, and our actions really do reveal a lot about what we believe. Do we believe that God is a rock we can rest on, a foundation that is unmoving? Do we believe he is sovereign and omniscient and in control of uh, the work of uh, the, the, the affairs and works of the universe? If so, then let's act like it by recognizing that our responses have to be based on those beliefs that we hold dear and that we really do cherish as foundational and as uh, uh, significant in our lives. So first of all, base your responses on what you believe and double down on those convictions during a time of crisis. Now, second, base your responses and your leadership on accurate information. When possible, go directly to reputable news and medical information websites, particularly in this particular situation with medical information being part of the equation, uh, and go there for data and updates. And when politicians give uh, speeches or when they issue directives or when um, your county health department uh, puts out a mandate, uh, go online and get that precise document. Don't look at a Twitter feed of a Facebook page of what someone says that someone says about a situation. Uh, for example, in, a, in the neighboring county to us, 
uh, a directive was issued and it uh, from the county health uh, department about who could meet and who could not meet and who was exempt and who wasn't exempt. And surprisingly enough, secondary schools like us were exempted from some of the regulations that were put out. That's what the document said, but that's not what was reported in the media. And so it took on a life of its own. And frankly, we're complying with the directive, even though it doesn't apply to us, because we can't countermand all the information in the culture about what supposedly applies to us. So I'm saying that when possible, go directly to the source. Uh, for example, we have a campus in the San Francisco Bay Area. And there have been some directives issued by Bay Area leaders that are different than those issued for us here in the Los Angeles area. So we went and found those directives and read them specifically and precisely and looked at the language in them to determine how I, what kind of response we would make. So when I say base your response on accurate information, get the most primary source information possible. Uh, go to websites, download the exact documents or the text of what was said or the speech that was delivered or watch the video of the person making the statement themselves really work hard at not basing your decisions on third-hand or information that's been passed on from one source to the other before it gets to you. And quite honestly, when anyone sends me anything these days um, and tells me this is what so-and-so said or have you seen this or do you know about this, um, I discount it about 50% immediately uh, and recognize that even people who are well-intended wrap a lot of hype in what they're telling me and that I want to take what they've said and use that just as a starting place to go back to primary source information as much as possible. So uh, go to direct information and use accurate information as much as you can. Now, when you're working on getting accurate information uh, to make decisions, let me also encourage you as a secondary point of this one to only give out accurate information. Now, a couple of things to keep in mind about this. Number one, confirm information before you share it. Don't be so quick to be first that you're not accurate. And so when people send you information about your community or about what's going on, confirm it. Take time to research it. Get the data right. It's better that you spend 30 minutes doing that and get your information right than you put out misinformation and have to go back and correct that. Or worse yet, you put out misinformation and people begin to discredit you as a source of information they can trust. A second thing I would say about this is to communicate in short messages. Now, for example, uh, yesterday I put out a statement here from the seminary, which is a coronavirus update for our faculty, staff, and students. And I made sure that I worked hard to get that update down to uh, less than one written page. Uh, I intentionally avoided going into a lot of minute detail. And I actually said in the document itself, this is a short memo. It contains broad, a broad description of how we're responding. And I vetted that with about half a dozen people so that I had different eyes looking at it to see what I needed to put in and what I needed to take out so that I could put something out that really gave the broad strokes of what we needed to communicate without going into a lot of minute detail. And then I said, the details are different, uh, applicable in different settings, in different contexts, different campuses. And so your local leader or your local faculty member or your local director will help you interpret these policies. And I'm in direct communication with them, of course, about what those interpretations need to be. 
But when you communicate, not only do you want to communicate accurate information that you've confirmed before sharing it, but you want to communicate short messages. In other words, it's better to have uh, a one-page or a half-page summary every two or three days than it is to put out a 10-page document that tries to cover every conceivable circumstance. Because right now, <clears throat> and in most crisis situations, things are changing too rapidly to put out that kind of documentation and then try to hold to it day after day after day. And then I would just add one more thing. I said two, how about I make it three? I said another thing about communicating and about accurate information is that don't be surprised if you have to repeat messages. For example, I was in a meeting yesterday in, in which we went over some information and then just a few minutes later, people in the meeting were asking questions about that same information and I found myself getting a little exasperated, thinking, didn't we just go over this? But then I realized, no, during a crisis situation, people process information poorly and they need to hear it two or three times before it necessarily sinks in and becomes really enmeshed in their mind in a way that they're going to remember it. So. Uh, sec so base your responses on accurate information, and when you're communicating information, make sure you've confirmed it before sharing it, share it in short message bursts, and also be prepared to share it or repeat it over and over so that people know <coughs> what needs to be, know the message and have it delivered to them in a way they'll remember it. Now, the third thing I would say as a leader is that you need to base your responses in a crisis situation on being a responsible citizen. Now this can be a little challenging sometimes because quite frankly, a lot of us have opinions about how the government is responding in crises and we're not always favorable to those. Uh, or we sometimes have a mixed message about those or mixed feelings about those and I understand all of that. But as a ministry leader during a crisis situation, I think your best choice is to be a responsible citizen, meaning as much as possible, uh, give deference and respect to governmental leaders and cooperate with them again uh, as much as possible as much as our convictions will allow now for example the government right now has asked us to curtail meeting together to limit uh, social interaction to um, move uh, away from large group assemblies and so the seminary has tried to cooperate with all of these things uh, we've moved a lot of our instruction into video conferencing formats. Uh, we have eliminated a lot of meetings, especially public events that we had planned through the spring. Uh, we're still asking people to come to work, but we're allowing them to work with some social distancing as a part of their uh, workspace. We are also allowing people to work from home and to do different things uh, like teach from home on these video uh, classes and, and uh, other opportunities to use technology. So we're trying to accommodate as best we can what we've been asked to do. And I think that's part of being a responsible citizen. Uh, it's, a tricky, it's a tricky line, though, and I'm sensitive to this because uh, when the government asks us to do certain things that do infringe on who we are as Christians and what we believe as Christians, like do not forsake the assembling together as is the manner of some, uh, that's part of what we believe then it does become a tension point for us. But for the most part, as far as possible, as much as possible, with as much deference and respect as possible, I think we set the best example when we cooperate with governmental leaders and try to be good citizens and responsible citizens uh, during this time. All right. Finally, let me also add, do not overreact to the situation and by doing so compound the problem. 
you know, there's some overreaction going on right now in terms of hoarding, for example, and hoarding things that in some cases don't really make a lot of sense in relationship to responding to the crisis. But nevertheless, that is what's going on. One of our employees uh, just a couple of days ago was at a major retail store here in the area, and the uh, barricades had been put up in front of the store. There were armed sheriff's deputies protecting the store and keeping people in line to go in only a few at a time as other people came out. Uh, fist fights broke out while our, while our employee was there watching and waiting in line. There was a lot of uh, shoving and pushing. Uh, the uh, police officers had to be very aggressive in maintaining order. Uh, and finally, our employees told me later, he said, I, I looked around and I said, this is not what I believe. This is not who I am. This is not how I act. I have no need to be here. And he, he said, I'll fast if I have to. And he just went home. Now, uh, he told me that a couple of days later, he plans to go back and as things uh, perhaps calm down a bit, maybe try to make a few purchases that he may need to sustain himself if this thing goes on for weeks and weeks. But nevertheless, I was proud of him in that moment for not overreacting to the situation and compounding the problem, not participating in unruly behavior, not fighting his way to the front, acting selfishly or in a greedy way. So we have to be careful that we don't overreact and compound the problem by what we're doing in our actions in these days. It is important to take reasonable medical precautions. I, I understand that. I'm certainly for that. But we also have to keep doing our jobs. We have to keep educating and caring for our children. And we have to care for the truly vulnerable in our culture who really are at risk in a situation like this. Most of us have family members. We certainly do who are uh, past 80 years old and have underlying medical conditions that would make them very susceptible to this illness. Uh, and so we've taken some precautions to make sure that person is cared for. So we have to react but not overreact, and we want to make sure that what we do in reacting and not overreacting doesn't compound the problem. Uh, it isn't doing any good to hoard things that are not really essential to your well-being at this time. It certainly isn't doing any good to take actions that uh, harm your children or put people at risk that are vulnerable in this situation. It certainly doesn't contribute to the common good or to, uh, to our witness as Christians to be seen pushing and shoving or fighting in a line or greedily trying to get things that belong to you, uh, that you think belong to you and that your family needs when other people are also in need. So just be careful that you don't react and overreact and in doing so compound the problem. Well, let me just close by saying one more thing, and that is the coronavirus is here for the next few weeks, and we're all responding to it. But I, unfortunately, I think there's going to be an echo effect of this virus that's going to last uh, into the next months and I think into the next few years. The echo effect is going to take uh, two forms. The first one is going to be an economic challenge. As I said earlier in the podcast, as a result of this, people are going to lose their jobs. Uh, businesses are going to close. Some are going to declare bankruptcy and just simply not be able to make it. Entire industries right now, particularly everything related to the travel industry, hotels, restaurants, uh, uh, drivers, uh, 
uh, airlines, uh, trains, all of that is being significantly impacted and all the people connected to those industries are really going to be suffering. But in the, in, the, uh, in the next few months, we're going to need to be prepared to continue to provide ministry to people who are past the crisis moment of what's happening, but certainly are going to be impacted by what I call the echo effect of the economic reality cascading through our culture. So as a ministry leader, be prepared to deal with that uh, as, the, as the months roll by. And then secondarily, um, I'm concerned about what's going to happen next year or the following year or the following year when we face another medical crisis that emerges from somewhere in the world and because of what's happened this time, uh, the reaction and uh, panic and all that goes on the next time may even supersede this one. And so I think it's important to think through and develop some strategies as a seminary, as a church, as a community where you live, to think through some strategies of how you're going to respond more intentionally and more effectively the next time something like this happens. So. Today on the podcast, we've talked about rising to the challenge of ministry in a crisis situation. I've lived through a few, and my counsel overall is we will make it through this one. In the short run, there's anger and panic, uh, and in the long run, there's resignation and action, and leaders have to get there quicker. And so my challenge to you today is to recognize that you can do some specific things like I've described, basing your response on what you believe, using accurate information and disseminating accurate information, uh, being a responsible citizen and balancing those issues, but, air, but, but tilting toward uh, being, and co- being a citizen that cooperates as much as possible with governmental authorities in these matters. And then, of course, making a good reaction in the situation, but not overreacting and not allowing our actions to compound the problem. This crisis we're in today is challenging, but we're ministry leaders. We don't flee or run or hide during times like this. We stand up, we rise up, we do what's necessary to lead our churches, our organizations, and our communities forward. I'm counting on you to do that today as we lead on.